According to, to sources, sure thing is schools are going to be opening in Ontario for in-person learning on Monday. Um, there are a lot of people that I think have been looking at in-person or remote learning rather as something that is a inconvenience to their lives. But I was reading a really interesting story in Now Magazine that was uh, pretty illuminating on how um, people in high rises are having to deal with uh, in marginalized groups of people are having to deal with their kids learning at home. And it's just a nightmare scenario in some cases, because there's so many people working from home and so many people learning from home in these high rises, even if you're paying the extra money for high speed internet, a lot of the times it's clunky. It doesn't work very well. Sometimes it completely drops out and you're dealing with a situation where it's infuriating and very hard to follow the bouncing ball. It's not that futuristic. Uh, your kids just, you know, sign in and there's the teacher and they watch and yeah it's frustrating because they're not amongst their peers in person it's it's a very different situation and this one story that i was reading i could not believe but um it was you know they took a couple of families and interviewed them and one of the family members said and it was a high school kid that their kid waits till after midnight to start doing homework and it's not because they're gaming it's not because I, it's the, because fewer people are streaming in the building. And so that is when he actually gets the best access to online courses. Now, I don't, I guess they record them, the session, and then he can watch back, but it, there's nothing live about that. No teachers are working after midnight. So I think it's very easy for us in people that are doing well, you know, the upper middle class to sit back and, and look at this and say, yeah, my kid's on, on a device all day. I'd rather them be in class, but you know, it's doable, the online learning. For some people, it's just not doable. It's completely inconvenient. And so now we have a situation where schools are going back for in-person learning on Monday. I think nobody can deny it's it's the better way for kids to learn because you learn so much more than just academics in school. You're learning all the time, and it's a really important time for kids, and everybody feels for the kids. But uh, we still may have a situation with stra staff shortaging and shortages, rather. Uh, so Chris Cowley joins us. He's president of the Ontario Federation, Teachers Federation. Having a problem talking here today, Chris. Welcome to the show. No problem, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Hey, Chris, let me ask you a question. Because I've been hearing stories that the media reported that kids were going back to school on Monday before unions and boards were alert alerted. Is there truth to that? When did you find out kids were going back to school and how? Um, I found out probably with parents and the rest of Ontario last night around eight o'clock uh, when it was on Twitter. So that's um, that's how we find out in the province of Ontario that schools are going back. It's not a press conference. It's not something that's formal. It's, it seems to be through uh, leaks to media sources. Okay. Before the pandemic hit, was this a normal occurrence in the world of, you know, getting information out to the people, the province getting information out to the people that are supposed to take that information and use it practically? Well, I think what, what we've seen since the pandemic is certainly a disorganization from uh, the provincial government and parents, teachers, the public has really been bearing, you know, bearing the brunt of that disorganization. And what we've seen with, you know, just look a week and a half ago, we had uh, an announcement saying schools would go back. And then literally three days later, nope, schools are going to close. And really, it, it's, it's students and it's parents and it's, and it's also educators that are having to deal with the consequences of that uh, disorganization. So it's unfortunate, but what, what parents need, what students need, what the education system needs is, uh, is certainly more confidence, 
certainly more, um, you know, predictability. And that's what we're asking for. Right. We heard yesterday that Metrolinx had to uh, cut back on service, about 15% of service on all of their lines. Why? Because of staff shortages. The reality is this is a virus and it's looking for hosts and the hosts happen to be humans. So people are going to get sick. We've got a similar staff shortage happening in, you know, numerous industries. And I would imagine that school boards are not the exception. So uh, you are now looking at asking the province to allow a pool of retired teachers to come back out of retirement and teach and fill the gap. How big is the pool of retired teachers in the province? Uh, the retired teachers uh, in the province is about 142,000. Um, so it's, it's a large pool. However, the average age of those retirees is about 72 years old. So asking that group to come back and teach isn't an ideal situation. I think we can look at the, the broader cause of what might be causing these shortages. And, you know, whether that's uh, issues with supply from the faculties of education and getting new teachers into the pipeline, or if it's situations where retirees simply they're already in a in, in a in a age demographic that puts them more at risk for infection. You know, I don't think sitting as a retiree, I would be too excited to come back into our classrooms to uh, to take that risk. Okay, so, so how do you of- how do you incentivize that bef- beyond you really love kids and this made you really happy in the past? I mean, they are already being paid to um, you know through their pension. So how do you incentivize these teachers coming back? Are they getting an extra? bump? Do they get more money than an average person would, would get being called in to supply teach? Uh, they do not. So they get the, the uh, occasional teacher daily rate, and um, just like any other occasional teacher would. But what, how you incentivize them to come in, Kelly, is you make sure classrooms are safe. You put in protocols in place, like proper masking for students and staff, uh, ventilation, HEPA filters. Uh, we know that COVID is airborne. We need to make sure the air that our kids are breathing is as safe as it possibly can be. And that, and putting those kind of things, testing, making sure class sizes are adequate so students can socially distance, that's what's going to incentivize retired teachers to come back in because they'll feel more confident in, this, in their own personal safety. Well, hopefully that, that you won't need to incentivize too many retired teachers to come back in because if it's a safe workspace, you'll, you'll have fewer teachers having to take time off because of COVID exposure. How, how many have expressed interest in getting back into the classroom when it comes to retired teachers? Well, in terms of from, from our office here, out of the 142,000, we've had about 60 calls, six zero calls um, saying to extend the number of days that they can work, which normally under normal circumstances, just for the information of your, your listeners, is 50 days. But last academic year and this academic year, we have extended that to 95 to, to try to help to alleviate some of those staffing pressures on our schools. Okay, so now the question is, how confident are you that a week from now, We'll have teachers heading back into schools with proper HEPA filters in classrooms, proper ventilation, proper N95 masks. Well, I, I don't think I'm, I'm not very confident at all, to be honest with you, because what, what have we seen from the provincial government? We've already seen uh, them plan to limit access to PCR tests, limit access to rapid tests, limit uh, school outbreak data and reporting school outbreak data and limit uh, school confirmed case confirmation. So those, that's data that parents and teachers and the broader community needs to gauge how the situation is in our schools and how the COVID situation is in the broader community. What's your theory on why they're limiting data as far as not recording cases of COVID outbreaks in schools anymore? You know, it's, it's unfortunate. I don't want to, you know, uh, you know, kind of uh, speculate, but certainly, you know, parents and the public 
need that information to not feel confident about going out, whether it's going out to a, a restaurant once they open, going out to the mall, putting their kids into school, and feeling confident that their kids are going to be safe. Unfortunately, with what's what's been happening is that this government, with their with all of their COVID policies, is always a day late and a dollar short. They're always reactive and not proactive. And we're, but this is something that? that was already in place. Why would the ministry tell you to stop? Well, the ministry is is telling you know school boards and and, and saying to uh, to I guess maybe it's coming from public health officials as well. Uh, to limit data to, uh, I'm not sure, To it could be something as a as, uh, possibility just to, to seem like the numbers are getting under control, something like that, or it could be some other... Uh, some other but we're not thing. seeing the numbers be- getting under control. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. If I the agree. numbers are getting in control, then what you would do is you would advertise it. And then people, parents could look at that number... And the number dropping well, and say, well, listen, that, that actually puts my mind at rest. This is things are going sure. well. I agree. It's like a free what, promo. What, we, what we've seen from the Omicron variant, though, is that it spreads incredibly easily. And what the worry is in schools, getting back to the school issue, is that if those protocols aren't in place, it is going to spread in schools. And those students who may be asymptomatic can take it back, uh, take it back home and um, and the infection grows. So we don't want to see that. We want to see kids in school, we want to see yep. teachers in school, but we want to see, you know, the protocols in place so that everyone is safe and feels safe going back to in-person learning. And that's ultimately the goal here. Is there a piece of the puzzle that's being left out, in your opinion, in the classroom when it comes to safety that I'm talking beyond HEPA filters and N95 masks for teachers? Is there anything else that you think that the uh, province uh, can do for schools to make well, it I safe? think maintaining testing is, is key. I think that, um, you know, Focusing on reducing class size is key, so students can socially distance, and to 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 make sure cohorting is respected in schools. Because uh, you know, it, and I know it's hard to do in a school setting, but you know, it, it's possible. It's being done, and it needs to be certainly enforced. But HEPA filters, ventilation, you know, with the with the Omicron variant is is absolutely key in order to make sure that. You know, we mitigate the spread of COVID in, in schools and in the broader community. What about kids' masks? Because I haven't heard anybody bringing that up, but I have to be honest. I've seen some manky, gross-looking masks around uh, kids' necks. Absolutely true. So, you know, we've been advocating for proper masking, not only for staff, but also for, for students as well. And uh, we think, you know, even students should have access to N95 masks that, of course. Uh, that, that help to prevent uh, the spread. But we're not seeing that. That's the problem. That's why, you know... With these 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 initiatives from the government, I mean, like I said, it's always kind of it's always too late. It's always reactionary. And where's that gotten us? It's gotten us closed schools and closed businesses, and that's where nobody wants to be. At the end of the day, are you happy we're going back to school on Monday? I think students belong in school. Teachers don't get into the teaching profession because they want to teach in front of a computer. They want to interact and teach students live in person. That's where authentic learning takes place. But what we've been saying since the beginning of the pandemic, since March of 2020. It needs to be safe, and those protocols need to be in place. And I still, uh, we, we still call on the government to do the right thing, never too late to do the right thing, get those protocols in place for every classroom, not just a few, not just a few schools, few school boards. Every single classroom should have those uh, protocols in place. Chris, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Take care. Cheers. Chris Cowley, president of the Ontario Teachers Federation.